Um, I'm going to begin today's message with two disclaimers. First of all, Michael mentioned I've had a baby. Many of you probably have seen me preach. Um, if you're new, um, this is your first time seeing me preach, so this is irrelevant. But if you have seen me preach, um, no one, not even Steph, not even myself, have seen me preach sleep-deprived. So I am not confident I know what's going to happen in the next 35 minutes. <laughs> I say odd things and, and crazy things when I've had eight hours sleep, but when I've not... I don't know what could happen. So that's disclaimer number one. I'm just getting these out at the very beginning, so you're all on my side. Second disclaimer is that this message, I might have the microphone, I might have the stage, but this message requires some audience participation, at least once, maybe twice. So I'm just putting that in at the beginning. Um, I'm getting to sign the verbal contract. You're saying, yes, Ben, I am going to engage with you because it's going to require as many people as possible because I'm hoping for a bit of chaos just for a short bit of my message. Um, we are going to turn this room into Breathe Kids Church for uh, just for about two minutes. So um, hopefully you're going to take part in that. So I'm telling you that now. It's going to happen around in the midpoint of the message. So you've got a few 10, 15 minutes to get yourself ready and then we're going to go for it. Okay, so everyone's going to get involved. You've all signed the contract. If you don't, you're in trouble with me, unless you have a legitimate reason, which I'll get onto later. Imagine that the Allied troops, and back in World War II, imagine we didn't win the war. Imagine that we actually lost. Just for a moment, there's actually a TV program, I don't know if you've seen it, but in America, they, they kind of, um, not imagine, but they tell the story of what would have happened potentially had Nazi Germany won. We'd have lost their identity as a nation, language, currency. I don't know what could have happened. I'm, not, I'm only speculating what could have happened, and thank God that we, we didn't lose. But the reason I tell that story is because we're in a situation where we, we're in a series where we're looking at Nehemiah. And the people of God, the Israelites, were in a similar situation. They, they were defeated. They had lost. They had been overtaken. They had been captured. They were in exile. They were in a country, living a culture, breathing and speaking a language and, and adopting practices and um, religious rituals that were not their own. They were in a foreign land. They were in that place for 70 years. And it's just quite interesting, just in the, sh in the shower, I did the quick maths, we're roughly 70 years since World War, World, end of World War II. So imagine we were in that same scenario. We now, as a, as a nation, will be potentially coming out of exile, coming out of captivity, of, of, of a, a, an opposing nation. We could be, imagine that, that length of time. If you were born um, around about that same time, you understand the concept of 70 years. But, but that's kind of what was going on. Israel had been, had been in exile. They'd been captured. They'd been in, in Babylon for 70 years. Almost, that's a generation of forgetting their, their God, forgetting their practices, forgetting their identity as a nation. You know, not only did they have to get over the, the defeat of losing loved ones in a battle, not only did they have to get over the humiliation and the mockery and the shame of that. So we... As a church, we're looking at Nehemiah, and I'm getting to the point in the story, I'm carrying it on. We've jumped a little bit, in fact. I've got the privilege of, of, of delivering a message in the context of they've just rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. The, the Israelites, Nehemiah has led a team of people to rebuild. They've done it. They've achieved it. They've made it. The walls are rebuilt. Imagine what would happen if we, you know, parts of Stoke-on-Trent were knocked down, and we'd rebuilt them, and we'd... we'd, we'd, we'd our mark of, of identity was back upon them. We felt as if we were back at home. Imagine the celebration. This morning we're looking at celebration. A lot of the songs have been, have been about thanksgiving and celebration. Um, and I'm just, just sorry to use a football example, but imagine if you were a Liverpool player right now. 
Compare that to Real Madrid. In that, for those that don't care, um, Real Madrid beat Liverpool in the European Cup final. So there's a dressing room of just decimated people, just absolutely just depressed. And then you've got a, another dressing room across the hallway of a celebrating, just ecstatic bunch of people celebrating. The question I've got for you is, which dressing room would you rather be in? Would you rather be in the celebrating dressing room or would you rather be in the defeated dressing room. This morning, I'm hoping for half an hour to encourage you that we as a church and we as people of, of God are called to celebrate. It only took them 52 days to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And just imagine the scenes. 70 years of not knowing who you are, of being captured. 52 days, you rebuild it. What a sense of achievement. Now they open the Bible for the first time. We'll get onto that in just a moment. What an occasion. So anyway, for today's message, we're looking at Nehemiah 12. And I've got a long passage. I was given this passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage because I've got to be honest, there's a whole load of names which would take me six hours to recite. So I would be looking about 80, 90 minutes for a preach, which Michael's given me permission to do anyway. So maybe I will. But we're going to start at verse 27 of Nehemiah 12. And we're just going to jump around. So I'm going to do a lot of reading. And as I say, in a moment, you're going to do something practical. You're going to be getting out of your seats. So get ready, just, you know, limber up. Verse 27, for the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem. So they've built the wall, and now it's time to sort of commemorate the building and the rebuilding. The Levites, great group of people, throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. It's like bringing in um, a bishop from America to come and do the royal wedding. They're calling in the people, the dignitaries and the people, the Levites from around the nation. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Or lairs or lyres. The singers were brought together. Let me just emphasize. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites. They also came from Beth Gilgal and the rural areas near, near Geba and Azmeveth. Still a few in. Um, for the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites first purified themselves. Then they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I, Nehemiah, led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. We've got two large choirs to give thanks. (laughs) Now you're getting scared. Don't worry, no one's going to have to sing. Uh, Where are we? So I led... One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dung Gate. And then it goes through a couple of other gates. Verse 35, then came some priests. Any priests in the room? Okay, well, it's worth a shot. Um, Who played trumpets, including Zechariah, son of Jonathan, and a whole load of others which I haven't got time to go into. You can do it in your, as your homework. They used the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led the procession. So you imagine they're walking along the top of the wall that they've just built. Um, and they're walking past gates. That, you know, I'm just picturing this scene of like Lord of the Rings on top of the wall. And they're, they're walking around the gates. And that's kind of this. And you've got people following. You've got choirs. It's quite an amazing ceremony. This is what's happening. Far beats the royal wedding, um, in my opinion. Although it's very similar. So then we go on to verse 38. The second choir, there's two, giving thanks, went northward. So one went south, one went north, around the way to meet them. 
I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall, past the tower, the ovens, the broad wall, and a whole list of other walls and gates. Verse 40, the two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God where they took their places. So did I, together with the group of leaders who were with me. We went together with the trumpet playing priests, Eliakim, and a whole list of other people. You can do it in your homework. And then finally, we're there. Verse 42 to 43, they said, They played and sang loudly under the direction of Jezariah, the choir director. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day. For God had given the people cause, this is great, for great joy. Do you feel like you've got cause for great joy this morning? The women and the children also participated in the celebration. And the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a joyous occasion. Amazing. It's, it's difficult for us to picture. The only reason I brought in the World War II scenario is because it's difficult for us to comprehend what it's like to be captive, to be defeated, to be broken, to have people die around us, to be completely lose our identity, and for that to come back. I can't just... I can't quite imagine the scene myself, but this is what the Israelites are going through. Finally, they've been reminded of who they are in Christ or who they are in God. So the message, my today's title is, we're in a series called Building Community. It's a large part of what we do. We're building community. We're running alpha courses. We're running, we're doing food banks. We're doing all sorts of different things for the community. And the messages behind that are all in this series called Building Community. So my message title today is, Building a celebrating community. And to help us with that, there are three types of people. You might be one of these people, not necessarily by name or title, but you may have similar characteristics to one of these three people. You may have characteristics or you may relate to all three or have bits of each one in you at certain times in your life. So it's not like I am this and I am that, I am that. It's this is, these are the kind of people, if we are going to be a celebrating community, if we are going to be a church who celebrate, we need these three types of people in our lives. And I'll explain. The first type are, actually, to help us, Baz has done a nice little highlight thing. Nehemiah 7. This is what Nehemiah does. As soon as the wall's been finished, as the, after the wall was finished, and I had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. So these three groups, types, people are the three, there's probably others, but these are the three I've picked out. Three groups of people that we need in a church to be a celebrating community and to be a celebrating individual. Not to be downcast, not to be downtrodden, not to kind of be negative all the time and not to sort of beat myself up all the time and feel so bad about myself. We need these three people, these three types of people to help us because I am the world's worst negative person. I can go home and sulk. Steffi will tell you this. I am a sulker. I'm a flapper. I look maybe good on the stage. I look like I've got it all together. But put me behind closed doors. I can be a mess. I need people like this in my life to help shake me out of the rubble and put me on top of the wall. Gatekeepers, number one. I'll give a bit of context. In Nehemiah 6. So I'm actually today... Although I've been given Nehemiah 12 as my passage, I'm jumping around the whole of Nehemiah, so please, please try and keep up. Um, and yeah, as I say, you're going to get on your feet in just a moment, just to warn you. Okay, Nehemiah 6, verses 1. San, again, some names. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies... 
because there are people that opposed the rebuilding of the walls. There are people that violently opposed it. Our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Gatekeepers, what do they do? Why do we need them? We need gatekeepers in our lives because there are people out there who will tear us down, who will discourage, who will oppose, who will be negative, who will make sure that what we are on with, we cannot achieve. Or they try and stop us from achieving or or even just being a, to be positive, to be a celebrating, joyous person. Somebody could tell you, well, you know, it's raining today, so I don't feel so good. There are people that bring you down, whereas gatekeepers watch against that. Gatekeepers protect us from attack. They guard against lies. This is what Nehemiah was facing. People lied, discouraged, opposed. You know, there's some gatekeepers in this room. You're up for the fight. You might be prayer warriors. You, you are not going to take any messing. You're not, you hear about a Christian who's in need. You hear about somebody who's being persecuted. You hear about um, some, some issue in society that has not been dealt with. You're a gatekeeper. You're going to pray. You're going to act. You're going to do something. You are, you are not on your watch You're not going to let it happen. You're not going to let children go hungry. You're not going to let slaves go unrescued. You're not going to do whatever it is that is placed upon your heart. You're a gatekeeper. Whatever God has put on your heart, you are going to protect the people. You're going to protect the church. You're not going to let a bad word say be said about this church. You're not going to let a bad word be said about your brother or sister, your other Christian, somebody in your small group, whoever that may be, our senior leaders. Somebody could say a bad word. You're not going to let that happen. You're a gatekeeper. We need people who are up for the fight because discouragement is a battle. It is so easy to get discouraged. And it's, even more, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to get re-encouraged after discouragement. So we need people who are up for the fight. We need gatekeepers in this church and in our lives. Nehemiah, we're not going to get onto it, but Nehemiah 13 is an interesting chapter in, the, in Nehemiah if you read it. Because Nehemiah has gone back to his day job, he's gone back to Babylon, he's gone back to be the cupbearer, and he's left what he thinks, Israel, he's, he's left Jerusalem in a state that he thinks, you know, he's got everything back in order, he's, the, the walls are rebuilt, people are starting to, to move in, they've got the, uh, they've kind of purified everything, and, and they're sort of, um, they're now back on course with the, uh, the, the law and the religious practices, and they're, they're doing the right thing, the people have repented, the people have been forgiven, the people are moving forward, but as soon as Nehemiah has gone, People are buying and selling in the temple they're, they're on the Sabbath. They're kind of breaking all the laws, all the rules. They're just kind of, within a few months, years, however long it is, they start breaking all the rules. So Nehemiah 13, 19, this is what Nehemiah does. As soon as something goes wrong, what does Nehemiah do? Verse 19, then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates, gatekeepers, so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. We need gatekeepers to keep watch because we can so easily get off track. We can so easily walk straight into sin. We can so easily walk straight into temptation. We can so easily just walk, you know, defile the church or make a mistake. We can be prone to sin. We need gatekeepers who watch our back. We need gatekeepers who, who help 
us, but also we all need to be gatekeepers because we all need to guard our own hearts. We, we, you can't just say, I'm not a gatekeeper, therefore I'm not listening. We all need to have gatekeepers. We all need to guard our hearts. What goes in through the, through the eyes, what goes out through the mouth. We have to guard that. We have to, be, we have to be aggressive sometimes with the thoughts that come into our heads and say, I'm not having that. That might be a thought, but that's not my thought. Get out. We have to be aggressive with some of the things that we're in the environment that we face. I am not listening to that. I am, I am turning away. I am rebuking that. I'm not saying any of that. We have to guard what comes in and out. We have to guard very carefully what comes out of this mouth. If We're all gatekeepers. We all need to be. And if we're going to be a, a, a group of people that celebrate and a, and a church that is arising and building, we can't let negativity rule and reign in this place. We can't let discouragement. We have to watch what is said because what we say can, can you know, pronounce a curse. It, it is, has the power of life and death, this tongue. So we want to build up life. So that's what Nehemiah did. He put gatekeepers to watch. Pay attention to what comes in and what comes out. So we need gatekeepers. These are the people that are, you know, aggressive. They're prayer warriors. They're people that are just so straight down the line. This is what God wants. I'm not going to move from left to right. I am committed to this. We all need a bit of that. But there are some people in this room that you're probably resonating with the gatekeepers, perhaps more so than others. Now, number two, the other type of people we need to be a celebrating community is singers. Now, I'm not just, just talking about Tim and Rich and the music team. I'm not just talking about people that like worship music. I'm not just talking about people who like singing, although many of us do. And I don't know why I'm dancing like this. But I just feel like, I don't want you to think, oh, it's an airy-fairy thing. Be, be a singer. I'm a bloke. No. It, it's not actually necessarily. You, actually, you may not even be able to hold a tune. But it's the spirit behind what they do. Nehemiah 12, 31 and we, we read it right at the beginning. I led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One, two. One of the, the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dungate. So there's three things that the singers do, and we need these people. They help us give thanks. We need people who, no matter what is going on, the walls around you could be crumbled. We need people who give thanks, who are thankful whatever the circumstances. Now, you could be one of those people. In fact, we all need a bit of that in our life. We should never, no matter what we are currently facing, ever focus just on the rubble. But we should give thanks that we have, at least we have our life. At least we have breath in our lungs. At least the sun is shining. At least I have children. At least I have a job. At least I have whatever it is, something we all have to be thankful for. Second thing they do, and this is where you come in, <laughs> singers lead. They're leaders. Now, we're all leaders, and all these other roles can be leaders, but singers lead. Singers lead. Um, you know, Tim mentioned it, actually, during the, the worship. We can enter God's presence through thanksgiving. So singing and thanksgiving and all of this that the singers entail helps us to enter places that we could not do had we not sang, had we not worshipped, had we not. We can't enter into God's presence without thanksgiving and praise. It's like a key. It's like a, a pass, a hallway pass to get into God's presence. We need singers. We need worship. We need thanksgiving to lead us to places we couldn't go ourselves. Which leads me to the point that I need a couple of volunteers. I need one from this side. And one from this side. Have we got any takers, first of all? 
brilliant. Is it Paula? You, you can come and just stand. You don't need to come to the stage because um, you're actually going to be moving very, very soon. <laughs> you don't know what you've got yourself in for. But if you just stand there, brilliant, just, just wait one moment. And now I need another volunteer over this side. So, so far the job is very easy. Now, the person I identified was Alistair, but if, if there's no volunteers? Uh, let, me just, let me just add this as well. What I want is everyone to be involved. So everyone is going to be involved, but these people are the leaders. They're going to go first. They're the brave ones. They don't know what's coming, but they are brave enough to go, even though they have no idea what I'm going to say next. But you're all going to be doing what I ask, okay? Thank you, Sheridan. He's a leader. He's a leader. Let's just hope and pray that this works. <laughs> if you just stand there. So we have got two choirs. This is Sheridan. This is your choir over here. And uh, Paula, this is your choir over here. This is your entirety of your choir. Now, by the way, if you have any physical reason not to stand up, and, or if you absolutely dead set you don't want to get involved, I'm not going to push and pressure anyone. But I would like the majority of this group and the majority of this group. That's what I'm saying. If not everyone gets involved, I'm not going to be upset. Does that make sense? So, we're going to visualize what happened on the wall. So, Paula's leading a choir. They're going south. Sheridan's leading a choir. They're going north. Now, what I want the rest of you to do is, is to follow them. So, you guys are simply just going to slowly walk. Paula, you're going to go that way all the way around, and you're going to end up where Sheridan is. And Sheridan is going to walk that way all the way around and end up there. That's, that's all you're going to do. You're going to literally walk. Now, the job of the rest of the congregation, the two choirs, you're going to follow. So I'm going to leave it to your own discretion as to when you get up out of your seat. But I want everyone to follow in a line. This is crazy. This is chaos. Be aware of the wire. Um, be aware of the projector. Be aware of the cable at the back. Anyone sign a health and safety disclaimer? I could get in a lot of trouble for this. But you've probably never done this in a, in a preach setting. But I want to visualize what is going on. And I'm going to make a point at the very end. So, Baz, do you have any appropriate music for this moment? And it didn't quite work because there were so many people, but they, they, they high-fived in the middle. They met in the middle. So singers give thanks. They help you give thanks. They lead people. And the third thing is they bring people together. They met in the middle. That's what happened in Nehemiah. They met in the middle. They go, some went around the, the south way, some went the north way, and they met in the middle. And what we need as a community, as a church, is unity and togetherness. We can all go off in different directions. We can all have different jobs and roles in this church and this, this, this journey called life. But we have something in common. We meet in the middle. Singers bring people together. We need people to help bring us together. There's, there's, there's confident, eccentric people in this room. We need you. There's people who enjoy leading. There's people that, that, that enjoy being at the front and going first. And that's for you. That's your natural place. We need people like that in church. We need people who are willing to follow as well. We need people just like that. I need a bit of, of, of the singer in my life or the leader in my life. So we've had gatekeepers, singers, and then finally, priests and Levites. A slash or priest and or Levites. I've kind of, they're two separate things, and I've kind of put them into one. And if I had a, a lot longer, if I had 90 minutes, I'd perhaps do them as separate things. But, you know, we, we don't want to go into that. They, they, in many ways, they serve a very similar purpose. And we're going to go perhaps to one of the more famous passages within Nehemiah. You, you might have this written on your fridge somewhere. 
You might have this written on some devotional that you've had in the past. Maybe you've never heard this scripture, but we're going to get onto it in a minute. But we're going to lay a bit of context first. So Nehemiah 8. So we've been from 12 to 6. Now we're in Nehemiah 8. Verse 5. Ezra stood, a little bit like I am today, on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Should we try something? Well done. You're really participating really well today. You're going to stay standing just for the rest of the scripture. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, I won't get you doing this, amen, amen, as they lifted their hands. They, then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Sherebah, Hodi, Messiah, Kalita, then instructed the people in the law. They instructed people in the law while everyone remained in their places. You can take your place, your seat. You know what? We need priests. We need Levites who declare the word of God, who teach and instruct us. Now, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that because I'm here with a microphone preaching. I don't mean preach. It could be preach. It could be teach. It could be lead a small group. But there are people in this room and there are people in this church that we need to instruct and help us understand the scriptures, to help us understand some of the complexities, complexities of God. I know some of the guys, um, Ree and, and Lindsay and, and, and some of the other people have been on Alpha Holy Spirit weekend this weekend and they've been doing Alpha courses. They've been doing the role of the priests and the Levites. They've been teaching and, and instructing and helping people understand what God is saying. We need people to interpret the word and the scripture to us. That will help us stay on track, which leads me to the next part of the scripture in verse 9, Nehemiah 8, verse 9 to 10. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep. Because let me just give you a bit of context. We just stood in, in, in the presence of the word of God. Bearing in mind, if you'd not heard the Bible for 70 years, if you'd not, you'd not got you version, you'd not got your own paper leather bound copy of the Bible at home, you'd not heard the Bible uttered for 70 years, you would want to stand up. You'd want to chant, you'd want to cheer. But as soon as these people got in front of the word of God, they suddenly started feeling bad, condemned. Oh, I'm not worthy. We've made so many mistakes. Our nation is such a, a, a we're just terrible. We're just horrendous people. They felt dismayed, downtrodden, completely wrecked. Anyway, back into the scripture. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that. For today, don't mourn. This is what Nehemiah says. Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. You could be sat here thinking, I'm not up for a conga. I'm not up for praising God. I'm not up for smiling. Don't be dejected and sad. Here's some encouragement for you today. For the joy, we sang it right at the beginning. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't everything is in 
in the right place and everything's perfect in my life. We'll get on to what joy is in, in a moment, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're feeling weak today, if you're feeling that your life is rubbles, rubble, broken down wall, there's a key ingredient that you can get strengthened with, and that's the joy of the Lord. So what do we need Levites and priests to instruct us in? Because surely we can just all read the Bible and go home now. Now we've got the Bible. Surely all of us can just go home and we just read it and we'll all be Bible scholars by next week. That would be great. But just using that final verse that I just read, three things that we need instructing in because we forget so easily. It says there, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. How often in church does someone, someone say to you, you know what? Just let your hair down. Just go for it. Chocolate, um, rich foods, go out, go out to the quarter and, and you know, go with the ladies. Do, do all these things. I'm, and I'm not, saying, I'm not encouraging a healthy, un, unhealthy lifestyle. I'm not saying eat loads of junk food. I'm just saying for so long, for 70 years, they'd lived on bread and water. For so long, they had been minimized and, and beaten and broken and been completely, completely demoralized. For so long, they'd had to adopt religious practices that weren't their own. Bearing in mind, and the Jewish tradition was the best bit of the food. When they were making sacrifices to God, they would cut off the fat and burn it. The best bit, in my opinion, you know, the skin on the chicken or the bit of fat or the is that just me? I don't know the best bit. But anyway, you might not like that way. But the richest part of the food, the most expensive, the, the best bit of the food they had to discard and give to God, which is, which is good. But now Nehemiah is saying, go and have some good food. Go and enjoy life. Go and, you know what, don't, you don't have to be religious anymore. You don't have to be a perfect Christian, prim and proper. You don't have to get everything right. You don't have to be on a diet. You don't have to be a certain uh, waist size. You don't have to be a certain personality. You don't have to fit a certain mold or framework. Just be you and go and have fun. That's what Nehemiah is saying. Christianity isn't meant to be restrictive. And it's not meant to be a list of no, 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 no. Christianity is a list of yes, 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 yes. Go and celebrate on me. Did I say that? (laughs) If we had a bar, I'd say, go on, I'll have a round of drinks (laughs) for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, we have a cafe, don't we? I shouldn't have said that. If anyone wants a drink at the end, I I will happily buy you one. (laughs) <laughs> second thing we need teaching him quickly move on before I give away my I need to remortgage our house okay second thing which very much links is share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared so are there people in our community that have nothing are there people in our community that haven't prepared something? They, they didn't know that, you know, you have to turn up at church at 11 o'clock and bring an offering. And you, they didn't know that, you know, church even existed. They didn't even know that Jesus even existed. Do we know people in our world that haven't come prepared? Who are the people that are going to provide? Oh, a fly just hit me as I did that. It's got anointing now. <laughs> I think it's dead there. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, share, share gifts of food with people. I did actually toy with the idea of just bringing a whole bag of crisps and just passing them around, but I forgot, sorry. <laughs> no, I thought it'd be too disruptive. And I'll, you, you, I'm trying to encourage healthy eating now. But be generous is the point I'm trying to make. What do we need teaching him? We, get so, we can so easily forget to give. We can, so, we can get so tied to our, our possessions and the things that we value because they mean so much to us. And we often need a Levite or a priest just to, to instruct us to give. 
Have you forgotten about giving? Have you forgotten about um, the, the different opportunities in the church that you have to give your time and your energy and your resources? Have you forgotten how you can give to your neighbor in need? Have you forgotten? We need people to remind us because I, I, I sleep. And as soon as I've slept, I've forgotten what somebody told me the next day. So we need priests and Levites to remind us to say, you know what? You've got so much. Let's give it away. Um, and there's a little plug there for the October. I know October's a long way off, but we're doing some community projects in October. Just get involved. You could, you could have something to give to our community, to Abbey Hilton, to the school children in the primary schools. We can give something back. And then finally, and this is where I'm pretty much finishing, so we're nearly there. What do we need instructing in? I don't need a Levite or a priest. I'm pretty happy with the Bible. I, I know what it means. I've, I can recite 10 or 12 Bible verses. I've got them all plastered on my fridge. I, I know the Bible. But what do I need instructing in? And I definitely need instructing. I need a priest and a Levite to tell me this. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So often I can feel dejected. And sad. The people of God in Nehemiah's time had just been completely ransacked, humiliated. Generations of people not knowing their past, not experiencing the promised land, not knowing the goodness of God or the truth in the word of God. They were completely aliens in a foreign land. And that word Strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In Hebrew, it actually means fortress or stronghold or place of safety. You know what? Joy is a place you can go to when everything around you is chaos, when everything around you is far from joyous. There's a place you can go to to gain strength. The joy of the Lord is my place of safety. The joy of the Lord is my stronghold. Not big cities with big walls and big defense systems. My stronghold, my refuge, my fortress, my place of safety is joy. So if there's anyone in this room and you feel in any way anxious, in any way sad, in any way dejected, in any way broken and humiliated, we're going to try and do something about that. I'm going to invite the band to come and help, help us with that. And we draw into a close. But you can enter in this morning. You can enter that stronghold of joy and receive strength. When everything around you is crumbling and broken, maybe it's not. Maybe everything around you is pretty tip-top. But you're missing something. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to read a scripture and the band are going to help us sing this scripture over your life. We've sang the song before. 
So shall we get to our feet? And then I'm going to get up and pray after that. We're just going to do a short bit of the song. But I'm going to read a psalm. And then we're going to sing that psalm. Psalm 3011 says this. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning. Anyone wearing any garments of mourning? Any sadness, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, brokenness, pain? You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with, that, with joy that I might sing praises to you be silent oh Lord my God I will give you thanks forever how do you enter in how do you enter that place sing praises don't be silent and give thanks forever so that's what we're going to do we're just going to do it for two minutes over to the band